In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made with camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Verse 5, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 9 And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Let's pray. Father, we realize that many of the truths that we have uh, probably been quite familiar with in the past we are brought once again to, as a fresh reminder today, that these might impress upon us a kind of work that takes us a little bit deeper, cleanses us a little bit more, and most importantly is allowed to celebrate those that are beginning this journey with us. We pray, God, that we would understand the precious beauty of your saving grace at the same time as we respond to you looking with expectation and confidence that you might do a kind of internal work that cleanses us more and more each day. We praise you, Lord, for your uh, promises and your power blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospels begin uh, with baptism and they end with the Great Commission, which teaches us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is, in essence, one of those opportunities that you and I can indeed celebrate this work that God has accomplished and purposed to accomplish in our lives. It is within that celebration of baptism that God does a unique and a very special work. Baptism, as most of you know, is, is an expression of what is personal and precious to us in our faith. And it is, at the same time, a kind of commitment, a new decision to indeed express that personal relationship in a, a rather public setting. Our commitment is to a person, Jesus Christ, who indeed is our Lord, and that is clearly expressed in, in baptism and the, the mode of baptism the, and how that baptism is expressed. Uh, because uh, several people in our church have come to this point of journey in our faith, 
we're going to be celebrating baptism on Easter morning. And uh, so uh, again, I, I mentioned that for two reasons. One is to, to talk about, you know, why we're going to talk about baptism this morning. And yet at the same time to remind us who have been baptized that there are things uh, that are taught within baptism. There's truths that become dear and precious to us. And we trust they would again do a fresh work in our mind and our hearts. The other thing is I would want to mention is maybe you're here today, you have not been baptized, but you would like to join us in that celebration on Easter morning. We'd be glad to invite you and encourage you to participate uh, in that. Um, my desire is uh, to, to express and continue to reiterate that importance of uh, publicly taking a stand for our Lord in that particular baptism. But allow me to explain a little bit more as we, we think through the, the, the concept, the practice of baptism, because I believe it uh, can be very rewarding to us. Uh, last week, you recall, as, as uh, we had a missionary here, uh, Rick Dugan, uh, those of you that were able to, to come and participate in him sharing his ministry and his work, and uh, particularly the blessing of, of lives being changed and hearts being committed to God in that particular way, he experienced a, a personal testimony of the resistance that evil can come against us in those times of baptism. And yet it's through Jesus Christ that that victory is gained and it's maintained. And so we learn that baptism is more than simply something we do. It's something the devil is trying to resist. He's trying to oppose. Obviously, he does not want that personal experience and the change that takes place in our hearts and lives to become anything worth celebrating about. And yet we cherish what Christ has done, and we celebrate God's power to change us from the inside out, and baptism is, in fact, one of those positions or those strong stances. I believe baptism is a rather sacred moment. It's a sacred experience in which we come to this decision, this position or stance, and at the same time, it's part of what it means to put on the full armor of God so that we may take our stand against the devil's uh, schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, it's against the authorities of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When you and I take a stand... That is when our face becomes more than something personal and internal. It is fleshed out. It is expressed in a way that God is honored and our lives continue to change and develop. Jesus truly has not only all power and authority over the devil and evil, but that power is beginning to work in us when we take a stand in faith and confidence and what Jesus Christ has done and wants to do in our lives. As we anticipate this time of celebration, I trust that it would indeed really be a blessing, not only to those who are taking this position of faith, but for the rest of us who are standing beside them as they take that position of faith. I believe it's uh, quite beneficial to consider some biblical truths and to look at the challenges associated with this kind of decision uh, of taking a stand. Uh, let's begin by looking back at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 again. 
and then uh, we'll jump down to verses 5 and 6. Matthew chapter 3, we'll start with 1 and 2 again. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. And verses 5 and 6, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. When we think in terms of baptism, we are, are probably quite aware that the practice of baptism was, uh, took place for the most part at that time in the Jordan River because the water was not only convenient, but it was readily available and seemed to be a, a meeting place that wasn't in the hot spot of Jerusalem, but it was somewhat out of town. It was a place in which people went to go and to celebrate this practice. But uh, the reasoning behind going there is because that's where John the Baptist had pretty much established his place of, of uh, ministry. And as he was calling people out, the thing we want to look at pertaining to baptism is not only the, the, the stepping into the water and the practice of baptism in that particular water, but the concept of baptism is to be immersed completely in this experience which identifies with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But what took place in preparation, as I mentioned here, is, and this is the part where you and I are not only challenged, but also blessed. The challenge and the blessing is that the people came in baptism with a confession upon their lips and a turning of their heart, which was indeed pertaining to uh, repentance. And we say, well, why was there this, this open confession? And why was this seemingly obvious transition of turning in their lives. Baptism is a time in which we make a statement in which we have recognized not only the importance of making a specific step of faith in relationship to our commitment to Christ, but we make that statement of faith in a outward fashion. God begins a work deep inside of us, and the way we grow is by expressing that with our whole lives. We step out in an attitude of repentance based upon that confession of our hearts. Um, it's important to understand that that confession is not simply for the benefit of all those standing around. It's not as if the people who have already been baptized are waiting to see what kind of good information you might reveal, but rather that confession is one that becomes an outpouring of an inventory of the heart is an expressed to Jesus Christ. So therefore, it's not so much that we make a big deal about you telling your story to everybody. What's important is that your heart is told to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, in essence, confession is to simply agree or to tell it like it is. And uh, most of us, we've been through that uh, point or time in our lives where we realize there's something about pouring their heart out to Jesus Christ. There's something about pouring out all of that stuff as we make a, a moral and fearless inventory of our life and we lay it out in essence at the foot of the cross. We, we come to Jesus and we pour out without the reservations of saying, Lord, 
this is who I am and this is what I've done and this is who I've become and my identity is in my faith and trust to Jesus Christ. Some of the key scriptures we need to understand about that confession, maybe we could turn to the first letter of John towards the back of our Bibles and look at uh, chapter 2 because in essence that confession seems to be focused primarily on what we have done and yet that confession does not make sense if it does not put faith in what Jesus has done. And that's what we're trying to understand about the confession of the heart, is we're trusting that when God has stirred the heart and He has allowed us to to become more keenly aware of, of the condition of our heart, we come to Jesus Christ because we not only uh, feel uh, compelled to open ourselves in honesty, but we want Him and only Him because he's the only one that can take the stuff of our lives and nail it to his own cross. So that confession isn't simply just a revealing of what our deep, dark secrets are, but notice in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Confession does not make sense to simply lay it all out unless you believe that the one you've laid it out to can do something about it. And so our confession is, in essence, a revealing, but it's a, an expression of faith that believes that Jesus Christ has already paid for everything. I like that expression, one who speaks to the Father in our defense. It's not that we try to justify ourselves. It's not that we certainly want to minimize where we've been and the things we have done. We simply lay it out believing that it's all covered because of the price Jesus paid upon his cross. So baptism is more about a faith in what Jesus will do than a confidence in what we have done through our confession. So there's somehow within the coming to Christ in in baptism and the beginning to lay out our hearts and bear our souls before God, baptism is a faith that believes that not only Jesus has settled the issue on the cross, but I'm announcing to my family, my friends, my church, those around that I believe that what Jesus Christ has done has in fact taken away every sin to my account. He speaks to the Father in our defense because of what He did upon that cross. He's not simply feeling sorry for us. He's not simply saying, don't worry about it. He's not simply saying, well, sweep your past under the carpet. It is nailed to the cross, as Ken read earlier in Colossians chapter 2. And so it's important to know that baptism is a bold statement that declares to the world, whatever you may know about my past, it's settled. Whatever you know about my weaknesses, my tendencies, my sins, my faith, my confidence is in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a, a bold declaration to not only declare to the world around us that our faith is in Jesus, but at the same time we recognize that in confession something happens 
And that's what we want to look at. Look at chapter 1 in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Because here we are, we may think in terms of baptism, oh, I'm going to make this bold statement, I'm giving my life to God, and then I know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to live this life that I just promised to give to Him. And so we might feel a little uneasy because we're believing that somehow every single sin, none left over, none left in the corners, none left in the cracks, what am I going to do? Simply fill up my my account all over again? Look at verse 9 of chapter 1, 1 John. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just. And He will forgive us of all our sins. And He will purify us from all unrighteousness. In in essence, baptism is, is more than you and I making this bold, confident position like now I'm going to do it right. Yesterday is paid for. Yesterday is settled. Now it's going to be the new uh, super Christian Terry. And I'm going to live this life and I'll never do anything wrong again. We fool ourselves quite quickly to think that you and I are the cleanup team. That somehow you and I Now, I'm not minimizing personal responsibility. I simply want to clarify in baptism, you and I are making a statement that this Jesus guy has the power to change me and cleanse me from the inside out. And my faith and confidence is not so much what I'm going to do, but my confidence is what he has already done upon the cross. I trust as we think in terms of the capacity or potential of baptism and the power of God's grace that we would not in any way continue to think in any way, I am going to do this in my own strength. All of faith, in essence, is a response to an invitation of God's amazing grace. And it stays right there. As you and I journey on, we learn to take responsibility for our stuff and we come back to the same cross that we came on day one. We pour our hearts out again and he continues to do the cleansing. You and I can't do our own cleanup process. You and I don't have the ability to cleanse what only God can renew and restore. But in baptism, there's this bold statement And as we acknowledge to our family, our friends, and the world around us. Now, one of those other things that becomes evident in baptism, particularly as Rick Dugan shared about the opposition and the evil that can come at these particular times and positions, is part of that declaration that a person makes in baptism is they're not only declaring to the world around here as is seen with the eyes, but that declaration is to the prince and the power of the air. We're declaring to the devil our confidence that Jesus Christ is indeed uh, our Savior. Um, Now look, turn with me to, to Romans chapter 10, because again, we must understand the beauty of confession isn't so much the focus on how bad we were, though it may reveal a lot of stuff. And we're not asking people who come to publicly be baptized in the church that we're waiting to hear and give you a microphone to say, tell it all. We're trusting we've done that at the cross with Jesus Christ, okay? Now, I'm not trying to minimize what possibly was taking place at the Jordan River. I'm simply trying to magnify 
That the confession, though, it reveals the, the truth about what's happening in our heart. Most of that confession is in who Jesus Christ is and what we believe that he has done and will continue to do. But notice here in, in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, is another aspect of that confession. That if you confess, in verse 9, with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, that confession is declaring to the world around us that our faith is in the Lordship, the reigning, glorious presence of Jesus Christ himself. And baptism is to believe in who he is as a person, and what he has done upon the cross, and by you and I confessing what we have done, he cleanses us and he purifies us. And so all the work that, uh, that is, is necessary to, to experience true and abiding change is something he does by you and I confessing he in essence has permission and we're trusting in his power. We do not produce that change, he does that change in us as we develop that attitude and commitment in faith. Now, there's also a mystery that we need to look at when we think about baptism is because um, we're not trying to, to complicate this whole concept of baptism, but we want to understand that there's more happening in the dynamics of what really allows change to take place in your heart and life. And this is really that faith aspect. We're believing that what the Bible teaches about baptism is the truth. And that begins to give you a mind shift. That begins to translate from a mind shift into a heart change. It's by appropriating and, and processing that truth to become the core of who I am. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll begin by looking at verse 3. And though it may appear to be a mystery, in which in some sense it is, we trust that that mystery would now become an experience in our lives. Romans chapter 6, we start with verse 3, and we'll read down in the following. Romans chapter 6, we'll start with verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection, for we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now that's a deep mystery. Most of us probably don't immediately think of following Jesus as dying 
But there comes a point in which the heart is surrendered. Our devotion to his purposes, his plan, and his will is an attitude of faith. We believe that, that as we put faith in the fact that when Jesus died on that cross, and by our confident gaze upon the cross, there's something about the old me is dying, and the new me is beginning to live. And in that faith process, as you and I continue to journey on with a gaze of faith, you and I are being changed from the inside out. It's a lot easier to keep it general than to get specific about how that happens because it's a work of God. It's a mystery. It's a beautiful, precious work of God. But it's important to know that you and I don't have to try to physically kill ourselves so we can live again. Does that make sense? You and I need to understand that there is an internal surrender to the Lordship of Christ by appropriating this. The best advice I could have is read it, is think about it, is maybe memorize a verse or two and let it soak in your mind and in your heart. Not so much for the purpose of figuring it out. It's sort of like trying to figure out the Trinity. There's a point where faith simply believes that this is what the Bible teaches, and by you and I humbly letting the truth be the truth, it will begin to change you. It's faith. It's believing. It's believing that that old tendencies, the power of those old habits, will somewhat diminish their capacity and stronghold because our faith is in a resurrected Lord. It's humbling to acknowledge that you and I cannot save ourselves. We cannot clean ourselves up enough to be considered appropriately acceptable before the king of the universe. But because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross and because of what he promises to continue to do in your life and because of these truths, these truths have the power to change us. You and I might say, well, I got it. I'll take it from this point on. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for yesterday, but I'll be responsible for the rest of my life. Well, if we're truthfully honest before God, it won't take long to realize that some of those sacred attitudes and motives you and I have may not look so sacred by tomorrow. And at the same time, that's the normal process of change. The devil isn't going to just let you and I fall in love with Jesus and stay on this mountaintop forever. You and I are in a growing process, but realizing the real secret to change is keep your eye on that cross. You keep your focus upon what Jesus has done, and you trust that that faith will translate into a changed life. And this is what your Christian identity is all about. We are saved not because we have saved ourselves, but we got our eye on a Savior. We are being changed, not so much because we've figured out five secrets to change. We just simply humbly ask the only one that can change us to begin to live inside of us and transform us. We recognize the beauty of baptism is a statement, not only that we are stepping into the watery grave, But by that declaration, we are trusting that the blessing comes. John came baptizing with water, but one who's coming after me will baptize in his 
Holy Spirit. And that's the promise that comes with baptism, is that there's so much more happening than simply somebody stepping into the water. It's a faith stepping into the death, the burial, and watch out, the resurrection. You have new life. It's a faith. It's a statement of faith. I encourage those who are being baptized and those of us that have already been baptized that our focus never loses sight of the power of Jesus upon that cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, there's some things that I might mention could be uh, practically helpful when we think in terms of baptism uh, because we realize that um, though there is this power of God and the potential of God changing your life, that these things do not automatically happen uh, simply because we have gotten baptized. There's always going to be a moment by moment, day by day, week by week, coming to present ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what our responsibility is. Our responsibility is to learn to not only have had a moral and fearless inventory of our life, but we are constantly learning to let the truth be that confession is, it's to tell it like it is. Keeping an open uh, uh, accountability before God is what we're looking at. But that's um, you know, easier said than done. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's amazing how quick uh, the life can drift to the left or right before you begin to realize what is even happening. It's almost like you're driving at night and you're a little tired and life gets stressful and you get a little worn out and pretty soon you're drifting a little bit and it's not till your wife gives you one of those big elbows and says, where do you think you're going? You know, it wakes you up and puts you back in direction. Well, the Holy Spirit does a lot better job than her. He works in a way that helps us recognize or be sensitive to the drift that can take place in our life. And so the, the scriptures teach in baptism that there ought to be a fruit that comes with this repentance. And so we want to uh, look at some things. Uh, we might take it back into our own hands and say, well, okay, I got it again, Lord. I've been baptized, I've been cleaned up, been doing great for a week or two. I got this under control. I'm going to go out there and plant my own garden and raise my own fruit and that kind of thing. You've got to realize fruit is not works. Fruit is what God does because you and I are willing to let the work, His, accomplish a work inside of here. So there's a few things we might want to consider in the beauty of God's fruit business as He produces that in our lives. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, many of us might be familiar with the fact that Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my Father is the gardener, and he who cuts off every branch, uh, he, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The purpose that uh, that whole concept of the vine and branches is teaching is that you and I realize that you and I are not independent uh, people that our faith system is just a private kind of thing in which you decide one thing and you follow the rules and you hope that everything works out. But you and I are, are really living organisms, okay? You and I are either tapped into Christ or not tapped into Christ. If we're tapped in, we're going to bear fruit. If we're not tapped in, we're going to dry up. And that, in essence, is what this parable is attempting to teach 
how that applies into our everyday living is you and I need to learn how to stay in a what is called a relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I neither may learn how to get plugged into Jesus, whatever that might look like. I think when we think about the walking and talking with Jesus in the garden kind of thing is, is probably one of the best illustrations. You and I, as you, you breathe your faith and you express your faith and you pray your faith and you worship your faith, there's a connection taking place. It's not so much worship, you're controlling the process, and it's not so much in your prayer time that you're telling God what He needs to do. It's just the expression of communicating with Jesus because you have discovered He's real and you're finding out that life is real. You're finding out within the expressions of your faith and the exercise of your thoughts and your heart, somehow you are producing fruit. The marvel and mystery isn't so much whether you can pick what kind of fruit you want to be. The marvel or mystery is staying connected will produce fruit. The gardener knows how to take us and turn us and lead us and direct us. The important thing is you and I stay tapped in. Some of those ways that we can think about in a practical sense is to consider when we worship God is the audience. He's the one we're worshiping. When we pray, we communicate to Him as if He's right there. He's real. He's alive. He's listening. He's responding. We learn to exercise and practice the reality of a God who is real. He is present. In baptism, we're making a statement. We believe that God not only is there, but when this step of faith takes place, He's living right inside of me. It's the real living presence. I realize it may be a huge stretch of faith for some of us, but as you and I express that, that He is the aliveness of my soul. He is the one that brings life to me. He is the one. He is the person. He is the focus of all it is, is upon uh, Jesus Christ. And so there's an importance of that connection. I think that most of us are well aware that there may be days that that connection exercise didn't take place. We may not have taken a little bit of time to, to ponder on the scriptures. We may not have taken time to pray. We may not have, have taken time to worship. And we, you and I can feel that relationship is somewhat strained. You and I know what it's like to not be in an intimate connection with Jesus Christ well, that's one sure way that apples start drying out and the rest of the fruit starts fading. And Jesus is inviting us again, once again. It's not as if he throws us away and burns up, up every time we make a mistake. It's just his way of expressing, come back to me. It's that relationship thing. So it's important. The, the practical thing is staying in touch, staying in tune with God and communicating that, Lord, you know where I'm at, you know what I'm going through, and I want to, to trust and believe in you. A second way that uh, we mention over and over again is the Word of God and the importance of letting that truth uh, be part of that cleansing and renewing process. Um, but I challenge you to take it one step further pertaining to the Word of God. And that is, in essence, that you and I need to realize that as much as the Scripture gives us a lot of information, the secret to this truth becoming personal 
is you got to take the time to look through the Word of God and listen to the Word of God as you're reading until the Holy Spirit says, that verse is what I wanted you to get to. Wouldn't it be nice if you just opened the Bible and it always worked? Every time you open it, there's the right verse. It has the right secret. It has the right ingredient that's what you needed right now and there. Now, God is really big and powerful, and He can do that anytime He wants. But sometimes He blesses the search. Just like as you and I come in to worship, sometimes it takes a while to get your heart in tune and get it focused on Jesus and not worry about anything else. It takes time in the search. It's the search. It's the passion, it's the longing, it's the the need to get connected that the Savior says that one is going to get a blessing. As you and I learn to, to let the Word of God be the Word of God, but when He speaks, you'll know it. When it becomes personal, that's yours. When it touches your heart, it begins to stir. It causes you to say, man, i got to read more about this kind of stuff. That is the beauty of producing fruit. The way God often does the fruit-bearing business is he's got to stir the soil up. He's got to get the soil ready, and that's what is part of the searching process. We're longing to say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. I'm not leaving until... I hear from you. And that's so important in the bearing of fruit is that we are willing to come and just rest in his presence, trusting he's going to speak. Now, sometimes God uses other people, and that's where you and I need to appreciate and value what would be called a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Often God uses other people. He uses other uh, circumstances or methods to speak into your heart. One of the most powerful ways is you have a prayer partner, and he starts sharing, and you're saying, how did you know what I'm going through? How did you know what I needed? Now, obviously, they probably would humbly say, I didn't know, but I was just reading, and I thought maybe... You would appreciate it. I want to share it with you. God is able to, to speak and lay upon our heart a truth that becomes uh, precious to us, but it's not so much the direct communication or contact with God, but God uses His body, and that's what ties together with the where two or three gather together in my name and agree on anything, there I am in your midst, is at the same time realize that the resources God has given to us is quite often your brother's your sisters who really care enough about you and they're praying for you. Some of the most practical things you can do is to realize that you and I are not alone in this relationship with Christ. God has placed us together in this together. What baptism and why it needs to be a public expression is you're declaring your faith to God, to the world, to your friends, to the devil, and those that love you dearly, that they will be together. Because when we get baptized, we're not only being uh, set in, in a commitment to Jesus Christ, but we have put ourselves in the body of Christ. Membership used to be, or, or baptism in essence, was the membership qualification of the early church. When people stepped into baptism, you're mine and I'm yours. We're in this together. And our commitment to God is celebrated in a community of, of Christian faith. I trust we'd realize that when we think in terms of baptism, most importantly I want to say 
is though it is an emphasis on a pure and complete cleansing, the focus isn't so much on you and I in baptism. The focus is on Jesus Christ inside of us. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the fact that you would entrust us with people that are longing to really get tapped into you, and we get to be part of that. I thank you for those that have lived before each and every one of us who have pointed us in this right direction. They have encouraged us to take those courageous steps of faith. And now here we are reaching out to the next generation of people that you have given to us. You brought them into our circle of faith. And we pray that we might faithfully encourage others as well to take those steps, to put faith and trust in you. May we just recognize the beauty of your precious visitation, even on Easter. Not only do we celebrate the things we've come to know, but we've come to celebrate what you are about to do. And so we give ourselves, we give those being baptized to you, and we trust, Lord, your Holy Spirit might visit us in a precious way all over again. To that we say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you very much.